Okay. Um, Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, please turn uh, to Galatians 5. If you don't have a Bible, one of these guys would love to hand you one of the ones that we uh, have. If you don't own a Bible and you need a Bible, you can take this with you. If you just want to borrow one, uh, that's okay as well. We've been in this book for a little while. We took a break uh, during Christmas for the Advent season. We just have a few more weeks uh, in Galatians. And the section that uh, I have here this morning is somewhat tied to what we talked about last week, the fruit of the Spirit and the flesh, or the fruit of the flesh. That is to say that we as Christians kind of battle between, if you, if you have given your life to Jesus, we, we battle between the idea of, of us still having sin, we know we're not perfect yet, but we're born again, we know we have a new heart and a desire for Jesus, and the flesh and the Spirit war against each other, and we feel this war. Uh, the statement that I made, the sticky statement that I used last week was, we grow as we groan. Uh, that is to say that our maturation is difficult, and, and it comes through travail as we grow. So Paul, what he has done is he's written this letter because, because he planted this church, and he wanted this church to know, he, and he wants you to know that you are saved by grace, that nothing, nothing gives you the right relationship with Jesus other than Jesus. Uh, that is to say that you can't add anything to your faith to make you more of a Christian. Uh, and, and I have dealt with this as a pastor over the years. People have, have said things to me that, that if you're really going to be a Christian, if you're really going to be a pastor, there's certain things you should do and you shouldn't do. Let me give you an example of one that a, an older gentleman told me several years ago. He said, he said to me, Jesse, you know, as a senior pastor, you shouldn't drive a lifted truck. I, I have a lifted truck. You shouldn't drive a lifted truck. That, that's not something that you should do. It, it, I think it's kind of arrogant of you. Uh, I think it's kind of showy of you. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I, I asked them, I said, well, you know, Pastor Wayne, who's the pastor before me? I said, Pastor Wayne, he, he drives this little race car Miata, and, and he drives a uh, Harley Davidson, and, and his last name is Hoig, and his license plate literally says Pastor Hog on it. That's the license plate that he has. I said, what about Pastor Wayne riding a Harley Davidson motorcycle? And this individual, I kid you not, said, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I said, well, I don't like you, and I think you're wrong. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the, the hypocrisy of it is amazing because, because he's made a standard that isn't in Scripture. Scripture doesn't say that you have to have a certain vehicle or have certain things or not own a home or give all of your money away or live in poverty to be a Christian. Those things don't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is your faithful adoration and worship of Jesus Christ who is God. That's what makes you right in God's eyes is worshiping Jesus. And so Paul, what Paul uh, was hearing was that these guys who were the Judaizers came into the church and were basically saying exactly what this guy said to me. If you're really going to be a good Christian, you can't drive a lifted truck. If you're really going to be a good Christian, you, you, you have to be circumcised. You have to obey all of the Mosaic law that is in the Old Testament. And Paul said, absolutely not. This is wrong thinking, this is heretical thinking, and he defends the fact that he's an apostle, and he comes in and he says, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And he hammers this home throughout the whole letter. In fact, he hammers it home for four chapters. Essentially, it's four chapters of you are saved by grace, not by works. You are saved by grace, not by works. And then he gets to chapter five, and it's the third segment of the letter 
which is where we're at, chapter 5 and, 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 through, and through 6. In the last two chapters, he says, okay, now that you understand, now that you really understand that you're saved by grace, now let's talk about growth. Let's talk about growing. Let's talk about what it means to be a growing Christian, somebody that is a maturing Christian uh, because of the fact that you're saved by grace. So we have to make really two clear distinctions before we read Scripture this morning uh, and we dive in. Just again, by way of reminder, that we understand that as we get into this idea of growth, that Paul has been hammering home, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace because of grace, you'll grow. And so good preaching that is centered on the Bible, I'm convinced, I, I am convicted of uh, that, that good preaching is, is not just practice and practical preaching. Uh, in fact, I read a lot of preaching books from all kinds of spectrums, all kinds of pastors, because I want to be a better preacher. Uh, and, and there are some who would argue, if you're going to be a good preacher, you have to be extremely practical. That's one way that, that many think. It's got to be good takeaways. You've got to know what to do when you leave. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that, uh, but the reality is, is it, what really good preaching does it isn't just focus on what you must do. It focuses on how do you fall more in love with Jesus Christ? How do you develop a, a greater, better affection for Jesus Christ? And, and when you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to grow. You will naturally grow. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is growth. So let's read the text uh, together, and, and then we'll get into it. If you would, uh, we, um, we have a pattern here. We like to stand for the reading of God's word, because we love it. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> verse 16. Tying in with last week, we're really going to focus on verses 22 through 24. But he says this in verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit so you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That, that is passion of the flesh. Back to the, do you desire the flesh, have passion for the flesh, or affection for Jesus? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires, spirit has desires too, are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They're at war with each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And there's a list here of, of over-desires, sexual desires, bad attitudes for sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. He says this isn't even a complete list of sin. And then he says, I warn you that if you do these things, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the contrast, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so let me, let me share with you. As a pastor, as a human being, as a husband, and as a father, I want to grow. Man, I, I do. I, I want to grow. I want to get better. Uh, and, and I'm going to share a story with you uh, of, of my improvement from the perspective of my wife. We had some friends over. Yeah, it's, it's comical, right? Um, we had some friends over on Friday night, and they had kids, and we have kids. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I've got four children. And whenever we have other couples over in our church, most of the couples in our church have more than one, children, uh, one child. 
In fact, uh, Melissa Claiborne, yes, on Saturday, just had her seventh baby. Yeah. Instead of clapping, you should be praying for them. <laughs> Pray lots. <laughs> Maybe fast. And give them some food. Um, that's a lot of people to feed. And so with that many people, automatically, one of the other couples had three other kids. We had four. That's seven kids plus all the adults. That's a lot of plates, a lot of forks, forks, a lot of knives. And, and uh, after everyone was gone, I did the dishes. And I was plugging away. I did all the dishes. And I missed, I think, two or three dishes. I don't know where they came from. I don't know if I didn't see them on the counter or if they were on the table. But I missed several dishes. And, and then after that night, you know, I proceeded to sit over on our kitchen counter where there's a little space you can sit down, opened up my phone and started kind of, you know, perusing social media and what have you and just trying to relax and unwind. And I noticed my wife was in the sink. And I looked up and, and I, uh, as I looked up, she, looked, she was looking at me with kind of uh, disappointment in her face. And, and with that disappointed look, I, I looked and I said, why are you looking at me that way? And she said, you didn't finish the job. And, and I said, oh, well, no big deal. And she's like, well, kind of. And she, she, she shared some examples of what if I started a job and I didn't finish it? How would you? It was just a little kind of a, a couple moment, a pure moment, a little bit of bickering, a little bit of jabbing each other, you know. And, um, and she said to me, she looked at me and she said, it's okay, you'll get it soon enough. <laughs> and I thought, oh, really? And I said, what do you mean by that? And then she said this. She said, you have grown every year for the last 16 years in patience, service, and humility. Eventually, you'll get there. And I thought, 16 years? We've been married for 16 years. And that thought alone. But then to think, where was I 16 years ago? And, and, and what is this measurement of growth for 16 years she's keeping track of? I had all kinds of <laughs> things happening in my mind. Now, now, I appreciated the conversation. We had some fun with it. And, and I was also encouraged. I want you to remember that story for a moment because uh, just remember it. Is, I'll use it to kind of tie in with some points uh, that the text, I think, is trying to make here this morning about growth. But what about you? Uh, what about your growth? Uh, is it something that you desire to have? Is it something that you're growing in? Have you grown over the last year? Do you desire to be the husband that God wants you to be or the wife or the mom or the grandparent or friend or worker? Just where are you at in your growth? I think inevitably there's something inside of us that wants to grow. Uh, and and the, the wording here when he says desires, we shared last week this idea of passions and the desires of the flesh exist and the desires of, of the spirit exist and they want to grow. That's essentially what Paul is saying. He's saying you've got sin in you uh, the ways of the world, ego, uh, and it wants to grow. And the whole world is, is kind of built in a way to kind of feed you and sell you something. Uh, and then he says also the spirit wants to grow. So how are you doing it at growing? And there are four, at least four uh, barriers of growth that I think that we need to be aware of that keep us from growing as Christians, might even keep you from uh, coming to faith, might keep you from coming to Jesus. And I have to say that because we do have people every week who visit our church who are who are wondering who Jesus is, who are questioning whether they should be a Christian or not. And I want to address those in the room because it's important that you know what might keep you from coming to Jesus. And it's important for you as a Christian to know what might keep you from growing as a disciple of Jesus. Number one, one barrier uh, would, be, would be content or context issues. Content or context 
issues. What, this, what I mean by this is that you don't grow because you don't know. You don't grow because you don't know. It's something you don't understand about the text, information you don't have. Uh, I'll give you uh, an example from myself. When I was in college, I had a girlfriend. I was with her for about four years, so it was a long relationship, and we broke up. And when we broke up, it was kind of like for a lot of guys. It was a traumatic experience for me. I went through a whole swath of identity issues that we won't revisit here. I've, I've since, it's been 16 years. I've grown past those things, so my wife says. And, um, and, and I remember I was like, okay, I want to get back with her. I want God to speak into this particular issue. And I knew that the word of God was to speak into all of life. So, so I did Bible roulette. You know what Bible roulette is, right? You know what Bible roulette is? Lord, what do you have to say about this? Mm, boom. And then you read something about uh, mourning, or, and you're like, that's not it. I don't want that one. Then you load the gun again, and you try again, right? That's, that's Bible roulette. And I came into Proverbs, and I was reading Proverbs, and, and I thought, this is the perfect place, because in Proverbs, it, it started to talk about how she will call to you in the streets, and she will come back to you. And I thought, oh, God's telling me. She's coming back, yo. She's coming back. And it wasn't until later I realized that... It, that the she in Proverbs, and this is good for you young men in the room so you don't make the same mistake I made, is wisdom. It's wisdom. She is a female and it's wisdom. Uh, and so now I just see how foolish I was and thinking that it was her. Now, obviously, it, it didn't work out. But that was a content issue. I didn't know what I didn't know. And sometimes we overcome growth by content. We just, we get better content. A pastor says it the right way. You take a class, what have you, it helps you grow. Number two, uh, Credibility. Uh, it, it, one of the issues that, that can keep us from growing is our own kind of human logic. That there's just certain things in the Bible we say, I can't accept that because it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work with my thinking. I, 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 don't, I don't believe what it's saying. Uh, in fact, a great example of this is Thomas Jefferson. Some of you might know Thomas Jefferson actually took the time to rewrite the entire Bible without the miraculous and without the resurrection. Thomas Jefferson actually sat down with the Bible and he looked through all of the scripture and he cut out all of the pieces that he didn't think actually happened. And what he was left with was 84 pages, 84 pages, which is a small Bible. And, and in that 84 pages, all that was left was, was the good deeds and the good teachings, uh, essentially the good deeds and the good teachings of Jesus, just the morality of Jesus. Because he said, he basically said, I cannot believe that these things happen. So his faith uh, was just not there. So it could be credibility. You, you just aren't there. You, you, I can't believe what the Bible says. It's just too crazy for me to accept. Uh, a third one would be cost. Uh, cost, literally meaning that, that you understand who Jesus is. You understand the teachings of Jesus, but you know that to follow Jesus might cost you something. Friends, uh, family, uh, or that you have to give up a certain kind of sin. And so I just, I've counted the cost. I don't want to follow Jesus. What's really interesting about this, and I've talked with this with one of our elders, Brad Beers, who teaches for me on occasion, uh, and there's this new conversation that's happening within theological circles about apologetics. And if you don't know what apologetics is, it's, it's how you defend the faith. And so, so you can go through, you can take a class on how do you defend the faith. So, so when somebody is attacking the faith, how can you come back with logic and say, this is why we believe in Jesus. Because we know that we believe uh, by faith that Jesus is who he is, but it's not faith that's not based on certain realities and truths, history or what have you, things that help us see that there's real evidence behind why we believe that Jesus existed. And what they're basically saying is they're saying this. They're saying the generation that's coming up now with millennials is essentially saying this. 
Uh, if you use apologetics with, with a young person, you say, this is who Jesus is, this is why I believe in Jesus, this is the apologetic, this is the logic, this is the reasoning, uh, that young people will essentially look at you and go like this, okay, yeah, I believe you. Why should I care? Why should I care? Uh, and what they're saying is because, because of the, the, the way that we now operate as a culture, we are so full of information, so full of logic, that the, the next generation is, is, is basically saying, if you want to really show me who Jesus is, then I need to see it in true relationship. I need to see that, that, that you really believe it, that you really care, and don't give me your reasons, don't give me your logic, don't give me your persuasion, give me a relationship. And if I have a relationship, maybe then I'll be open to your logic. Uh, and so, so they can say, yeah, I understand, <laughs> but I don't care. And so how do we get people uh, to care? How do you end up caring? We'll get to that here in a moment. Or the fourth one is confidence. You don't have confidence. You just would simply say, I can't do these things because I don't know enough. Uh, and you're not confident in your faith. I, I've actually had Christians that I've known here in this church that have been saved for a long time. And they've told me, I, I don't share the gospel with my friends because I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have enough confidence uh, in the scripture. So all of these things can be barriers. There, there's probably more. Uh, I'm sure we could add to this list. I'm sure you could add to this list. But the big question maybe I would ask you is, Number one, what keeps you from growing? What keeps you from being better at what you do? And then how do you overcome that? That's the question that I'm trying to answer this morning. How do you overcome it? You overcome it through what the text says here is the fruit of the Spirit. I would say, everybody say, fruit. Fruit is how you overcome it. The fruit specifically of the Spirit. So now what Paul does is he says, okay, listen, you understand grace. Now I want you to grow and I'm gonna use the illustration of fruit, agriculture, for you to understand growth and how growth works. So he kind of takes us back to the farmland, takes us to the orchard. He takes us to the garden, if you will. He wants to teach us a lesson. He says, okay, here's how you understand growth. And he uses this word fruit. Here, here's what fruit teaches us. Number one, when fruit grows, it grows tremendously slow. It's almost unnoticeable. You can't see it. Not unless you have a time-lapse camera. It's really, really slow. It's arduous. Remember the statement I used last week? We, we grow as we groan. Uh, that is, in essence, to kind of say, it just takes time, right? My wife, my wife let me know, you're, you're getting better, but it's taken 16 years to get here, and I'm patiently waiting for the next 16 more. That's basically what she told me, right? It's slow. One of the things that's hard about uh, being in the, the, the pulpit, the spotlight, if you will, is my growth is on display for everybody. And it's not always comfortable to hear. In fact, after this message, I had several people tell me, you know, yep, you're getting better every year. You're getting better every year. You've really improved. You're not the same guy. Uh, one time, uh, I was doing a memorial service here in this building. There was, uh, I think, close to 500 people at the service. My old fifth grade teacher uh, was here because I grew up in this town, which is a whole nother issue to deal with as a pastor in the community. And my fifth grade teacher was here. I hadn't seen him since fifth grade. And so he knew my upbringing. He knew the kind of kid I was in the fifth grade. And he went up to one of the people uh, after the service and he said, I would have never thought in a million years Jesse would have been a pastor and he would have done what he did at that service. And someone asked him, well, well what did you think he was gonna do with his life? He said, I thought he was gonna be in prison. <laughs> so he, he, had a high, you know, he had a high standard for me. He really thought I was gonna, you know, he... He believed in me. It's just so good to have a teacher that believes in you. So you, 
you can do it. So <laughs> he was an all right guy, um, sort of. Uh, apparently, I was a criminal. But it's, it's slow. In fact, it's so slow that you, about your own growth, you won't, you, right, you won't notice it. The best thing to do to understand where you grow, to be encouraged, is ask, ask your spouse. Ask someone who knows you. Uh, have I grown in the last year? Have I grown in the last two years? So Paul's letting us know that this idea of spiritual growth, it's slow. But, but you know what else fruit tells us, what fruit shows us? Uh, that if you're truly saved, when Paul says this fruit of the Spirit's going to come, and he tells us what the fruit is, he says it's going, it's going to be unavoidable. That's number two. The fruit, fruit growth is unavoidable. So we live in an area that has a lot of trees, right? <laughs> we have a lot of trees. And, and one thing that's amazing about trees is they will, especially the trees we have around here, they'll grow anywhere. They'll grow anywhere. I, I find them growing in the cracks in our foundation. There's a little tree kind of growing. In. How did the seed get in there? I don't know, but it, it's growing. And, and what happens is it, a tree, it's slow. You don't notice it, right? You don't notice how fast it grows. You don't notice its growth. But when it grows and it gets there, there's no mistaking it. And anything, anything that's around it that's in its way, it overcomes, in fact, I've seen pictures. I don't know if you've seen these uh, online or not. I've seen pictures of mature trees that have uh, bicycles inside of the tree trunk 10 feet in the air. Have you seen those pictures? You know, it's amazing. There's all kinds of, if just Google it sometime, pictures of trees that have absorbed its surroundings. Sometimes trees absorb other trees. We have some of those trees in Truckee. You know what I'm talking about? It looks like one trunk and then two and then one and they're all funky and weird. They can overcome each other. Why do I share that? Because, because when, when a seed is planted that's like that tree, it'll ruin anything. I, I've grown up here, so I've seen trees that have grown by streets or pavement or some of you have them in your driveway, have you not? where the tree has decided that, that it's going to grow its root underneath your driveway, and it's not the tree that gives, it's your driveway that gives, yeah? Anybody have those driveways? Dave Schroeder has one of those driveways, don't you, Dave? Got a couple cracks in there. And the, you can see where the roots they, they start to grow through. And when, when Paul says that you're going to have this fruit of the Spirit, and here's what the fruit is, he is, in a sense, letting us know that a tr- that, that, that fruit is going to grow. It's unavoidable. That if you're really a Christian and you really understand the gospel of grace, you're going to grow. You're going to grow fruit, good fruit. You're going to mature. And that's good news. You want to know why that's good news? Because some of you, some of you over the years have hoped and longed for your spouse to grow in a certain way, and they haven't. But you don't have to worry about it because Jesus is the one who's going to help them and make them grow. Uh, One of the things I think to use that illustration with the dishes, as silly as it is with my wife, I know if my wife were up here sharing with you, she, she would share with you that maybe early on in our marriage, she probably wanted me to progress in my growth as a husband and as a father faster than I actually did. But over time, uh, she has learned, yeah, Jesse's going to grow. He submitted to Jesus, and I don't have to worry about it because she, she can't make real growth happen, can she? Because what happens is, is we want, if we're honest, we want control. So in order for fruit to grow, you kind of, you got to have humility, especially with other people. Because you can't make this stuff happen. You can't make people grow. You can't make people get it. You can't, you can't help them understand something about Scripture or overcome some of those, those growing barriers that I mentioned earlier. Those things aren't overcomable through your own power. Notice he says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the effort of the Spirit. 
not the persuasion of the Spirit, not the convicting of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who produces the fruit. So, so can I just say, if you have children, you keep loving Jesus. The, the best thing your kids could ever see in you is a deep love and affection for the person of Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that your kids can see because that will stick with them. That will last. If all you're doing is saying, listen, child of mine, you've got to grow in love. You have to grow in patience. You have to grow in kindness. So you can fake all of those things. It's like the fruit on some of our kitchen tables. They're not real. You know that fruit? I, I don't have time. There's nine pieces of fruit that's listed here. Now, to do this, this passage justice, it would take, in verses 22 through 24, it would take nine weeks. Now, I already get criticized for being in books long enough as it is. So if I said we're going to do nine weeks on the fruit, it's just too long. Maybe at some point in the future, some point down the road, we do a nine-week study on just the fruit of the Spirit. I don't have time to get into the fruit, but all of it. I, I don't, I'm, we're going to touch on some of it here in a moment, but I need you to understand something about the fruit. There's genuine fruit, there's an opposite of the fruit, and then there are, there's the fake fruit. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can fake some of this stuff, or you can do it for the wrong reasons. There's a guy here this morning, he let me know, he said, he said, uh, he said, yeah, you know what? I have a scar right here. You see it? I said, yeah, I see it. He said, you know how I got that scar? I said, no. He said, my mom threw a fake bowl of fruit at my head. And it's like, okay, well, you're not in prison. I'm not in prison. Jesus is good. And then he said to me, his wife was saying, he's a great guy, great guy. He was standing next to me, and he was talking about growth. And he goes, Jesse, you want to know how much I've grown? And I go, how much have you grown? And he says, my wife doesn't even know this. And she's standing there, and she's looking at him like, they have one of those relationships where he talks and she does this. <laughs> she's nice and quiet, you know. And he goes, yeah, you know what tomorrow is? And she's over there. It's our 28-year anniversary. And she goes, oh, it is! It's a miracle. The guy knows, the girl doesn't. That's growth. Like, God makes things happen. It's amazing. <clears throat> it's, it's unavoidable. It's, it's inevitable. You're, you're going to grow, okay? That, that's number two. Number three, the fruit is more about the root than the fruit itself. Uh, so it kind of touches upon, like I said, like you can fake some of this stuff. Like if you look at the word love, that word love literally means, if you, if you look it up, it literally means that, that you love somebody for who they are and not what they give you. See, the opposite of that is, is hunger. You you love somebody for what they give you, for how they satisfy you, for how they satiate you, right? It, it's, it's, it's love in a contractual relationship. I love you because of what you give me. And, and then the opposite of that is, is to love people uh, not for what they, what they um, what, just who they are. It's to love them for, for what they give. And you can, you can love somebody, love somebody, but it isn't actual, real, sacrificial, biblical kind of love. It's, it's love as groceries is the way to put it, right? I, I, I shop at Walmart until Walmart, Walmart never satisfy, doesn't satisfy me. They, they make me upset. And then I go to Target. And then if I'm really, really honest, I don't, I, something happens at Target. I don't like Target. So then where do I shop? Amazon. <laughs> two days. As long as I get it in two days. If I don't get it in two days, well, then I let them know this relationship's not working out for me anymore. And they say, whoa, hold on. Let us give you a $1 digital credit. And I go, okay, we're good again, right? <laughs> that, the, the, you can love people for the same sense. And so it, the, the root is in, in Jesus. 
right? It's not about how, what you're producing. It's about your, 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 your roots go into the gospel, into the word of God, and you're absorbing the goodness of Jesus, and then the fruit appears. So, so when we read this passage, Paul does list the fruit, but he, he doesn't want us to focus on just the fruit. It's the fruit of, again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Where does it come from? And that's where our roots have to drive into the Spirit of God. Number four, and this is kind of an interesting one, it's symmetrical. The fruit is symmetrical. What do I mean by that? Paul purposefully, when he says fruit of the Spirit, and then he makes the list, notice <clears throat> it's not fruits, it's fruit. It's, it's not fruits, it's fruit. It's singular. It's not a mistake. In the original language, he does the exact same thing. He's putting an emphasis on helping us realize that these these things that are listed, they're not separate fruits. So it's not like you grow in Jesus and you go, well, I'm growing in love and I'm growing in patience and I'm growing in kindness, but not self-control. No, what Paul is saying is, is it's fruit, it's singular. All of these things grow together and it's one particular fruit. It's kind of like a diamond. If you hold up a diamond, it's multifaceted. You look into it and you turn it and you can see something new or something unique. You know, this takes me back to when I went and looked at the very first diamond I was going to give Allie, and you look under it on a microscope, they put different light, they make sure the, the room is well lit, and you look at it from all angles to make sure there's no imperfections, and, and you can see something different, the way the light refracts off of it, and each diamond is unique and different. And he's saying, listen, the fruit, this fruit, it all has to grow together or it's not working at all. So in a sense, he's letting us know that, that you can't say, well, I'm really growing in love, but joy, hmm, that's not my bag right now. No, if you're really growing in love, your joy is going to increase. <laughs> and if you're really growing in patience, uh, well, then your kindness is going to increase. They're, they're all connected with each other. Now, think of patience for a moment. That, that, that definition, the pa- patience. <sighs> I went through downtown last night <laughs> just to see if I was a Christian, apparently. <laughs> I didn't pass the test. <laughs> didn't. Right? And there, the, we all, we, for those of us who live here, <laughs> we all know, we all know the ridiculousness of, of what happens when we, we are infiltrated with those that we get to host. And I say that because we should look at it that way. I know I look at it that way. I'm, I'm extremely encouraged that, that because, just because of our location, that Jesus was gracious enough to to allow this church to be planted right in the middle of town. When somebody visits Truckee, California, and they pull us up on the internet, we are the closest, most prominent church that they're going to find, and they come and visit. We get to host visitors. And I've told you before, I hear from people all the time who are out of the area how much they love our church. In fact, just this morning, there was a couple here with two kids, and he, said, he came to me and said, we live in the Bay Area, and it's our long-term dream to come live in Tahoe. And all the locals are like, oh, great, more of them, right? But, but for me, and he said, he said, we would die to have a church like this. We're looking for a church like this back where we're at. And uh, we're, we're praying for it. Maybe, maybe you'll see us down the road, but if not, you'll definitely see us every time we visit. We have people who actually, this is the beautiful thing for me. I think it's amazing. I think it's great. We have people who come and visit and actually schedule their arrival and their departure based on our Sunday services. So there are people who literally go, I'm not leaving until after church or I'm not leaving until Monday because I want to come and worship Jesus with you at Sierra Bible Church. 
So I think that's beautiful. And I think, I think that it's good that God has given us that kind of grace to impact people when they come and visit. And my wife tells my kids about patience, and we think of all these people who infiltrate town. It's an opportunity for us to share the gospel indeed. But my wife says this. She says, to my children who don't have any patience at all, and when they don't show patience, we show them patience by saying, show patience. <laughs> and she says, she says this to them. She, says, she asks the question at the dinner table, what is patience? Uh, and, and they respond all together, having to wait joyfully, expecting good having to wait joyfully. Notice the word, the definition my wife gives is connected with part of that fruit, the singular fruit, joy. Patience is waiting with joy. Doing what? Expecting good. And goodness is in the list as well. I'm, I'm anticipating something good will happen. As we, we've said before, that Jesus always answers your prayers according to what the way that, that he understands what your life would have, what it would entail. He knows something that you don't know, and if you knew it, you would answer your prayers the way that he answers your prayers. And he, who knows? Maybe I was in traffic last night, not just to test my Christianity, but for some other delayed reason. God has a purpose behind everything that he does. And so we have this fruit that's symmetrical that we should all be growing in, whether it's joy, which is listed 70 times in the New Testament. It's a big deal. This is the Bible basically saying, don't, don't show the, the, the counterfeit of that, which is to smile and not mean it, but to literally have something inside your heart that's leaping uh, for, for joy. And I think when you understand the goodness of Jesus, when you, when you get up in the morning and you focus on the goodness of Jesus, it should bring a smile to your face and that should come out in your life. And it goes on. The list is incredible. It's an incredible list. And by the time you're done reading the list and you're thinking about uh, a particular kind of growth in your life, whether it's gentleness or humility or, or self-control, how's that one, right? How good are we at being self-controlled? which is the opposite of impulsivity. <laughs> Our culture thrives on impulsivity, right? You know the, uh, what's it called in retail? The, the point of sale purchase, where, where literally there are things in the aisle way that are just to make a few extra bucks off of you. And usually, usually they're head heights for toddlers. That's on purpose. These people are geniuses, right? My kids walk up, peanut butter cups, dad. Where in the world did you get that? <laughs> And you can't see it because it's too low. And, well, unless you're me, they're all head height. It's okay. <clears throat> After you read the list and you think about self-control or you think about gentleness or you think about any of these other words, whether it be goodness or kindness or peace or patience, and you wonder how am I growing in these areas, not just in my own personal life, but at work and with my kids and with my wife, when it's all said and done, you look at that and you go, man, I've got a long way to go. Well, 16 more years, according to my wife, right? Just I've got farther to go. And so the question then, as we drive into the answer here, the question, how do we grow? Let's talk about the answer, how do we grow? How do we do that? How, how do we look at this list and say, okay, listen, I, I want to, I want these things to be in my life. I want them in abundance, and I really do. Because when you think about it, this, is, this, is, this list here uh, is, is really what it would look like to be like Jesus. I mean, these are his, what, what are considered communicable attributes, the attributes in which you can see. That's what communicable, communicable means, if I could say it correctly. You can actually see them in Jesus Christ. So to actually have these things in perfection would be to be like Jesus. It, it's, and it's not only to be like Jesus, it's, it's to have peace 
and it's to, it's to have a life that, that really is good for other people as well as for yourself. Because again, that word fruit is meant to be for nourishment, for goodness. Have you ever had a good orange when you have felt dehydrated? There's something about, I don't know, for me personally, there's just something about a, a good orange when I, after the gym, and I go home and I peel that thing and it smells fresh and it smells good and, and then you put it in your mouth and it saturates your tongue and it feels like it's giving you nourishment in the moment. On a hot day, there's nothing quite like a nice citrusy, fruity kind of drink. It's all for nourishment, but it's also nourishment for other people. It's not just for me, it's for you. And it, we don't want this to be fake, we want it to be life-giving. So how do we have this stuff grow? Number one is in verse 24. It's just in the statement there in the beginning. And those who belong to Christ. That is to say, in order for this fruit to really grow, you have to remember who you belong to. Remember to where you came from. Remember how you were saved. Remember who Jesus is. Remember, in fact, most of our growth issues are not related to content issues as Christians. They're related to not just, they're not remembering. I don't remember how good Jesus is. In Revelation chapter 2, 5, when, when John is addressing the churches that have fallen back, he says to one of those churches, he says, remember where you came from. Remember what Jesus has done to you. Return to the love that you had at first. In regards to communion, when we partake of the bread and the wine that represents the body and the blood of Jesus, we're told to do it in remembrance. And Peter, when Peter's preaching, Peter says, says, man, this isn't troubling for me, but I need to stir you up by way of reminder. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul actually says in Ephesians, he says, he says, you have all of these, basically, you have all of these issues, you have all of these struggles, you're dealing with all of these things, you're just not, basically, you're not acting like real Christians. And then he finally gets to this place, I think it's in chapter two of Ephesians, and he says, man, I, I'm praying for you. And he doesn't say, I'm praying that you work harder. He doesn't say, I'm praying that you pray more. He doesn't say, I'm praying that you read more of your Bible. You got to do something. He doesn't say, he says, no, 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 no. I'm praying. I'm praying for you because you're not doing so good. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated to the riches and the blessings you have in Jesus Christ. He says, you know what your issue is? You know what your problem is? The eyes of your heart are closed. You know what you know, but you're not, it's not real to you. It, it's not sticking with you. In fact, I want to jump ahead a couple slides here to what one commentator says. He says this about remembering. 99% of the time, you either think, I need new circumstances or I need new information. So you need to grow, and 99% of the time, this is his statement, he said, you think you need more information to get to a new place. But Jesus says, no, your whole problem is the information you have is not real to you. Think about it. If the love of God you believe well, in, if the love of God you believe in was so real to you, there would be no discouragement. If heaven was real to you, you'd be living lives of abandonment and self-sacrifice and generosity. If the wisdom of God was real to you, you wouldn't be afraid. All of your problems come because the things you know aren't real. So he's saying, he's saying this author here is saying, the issue, the issue isn't new knowledge and new content. The issue is the knowledge you do have driving into your heart to actually produce fruit. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? How many times ha have you had somebody in your life say something in a certain way that you've heard 100 million times before and then finally you got it? Finally it came to you. I heard a story of a, of a young man who went to church for 10 years, went to another church, heard what he thought was the gospel for the first time, received Jesus as a Savior, went to the pastor, said to the pastor, I've been sitting in church for 10 years. 
And, and finally, someone preached the gospel. I've never heard the gospel before. Thank you so much for finally preaching the gospel. He said, you've been coming to church for 10 years? Yeah, 10 years. He said, sir, you have heard the gospel. It just happened to be that you finally were listening. And it's true. It's so true for us. We think, how do we come to salvation? How do, we, how do we become the Christians we want to be? How do we grow? What about the Spirit of God? It's not that we need more information. We need the reminder of why Jesus is the, the, the only Son of God that we should worship. That's why we celebrate Easter every year, is it not? Because we need to be reminded Jesus isn't dead. It's why we celebrate Christmas every year. Because we need to be reminded that, that God became flesh to dwell amongst us, that we would have a relationship with him. We need to be smacked around a little bit so that we would remember. So that's number one. If you want to grow, you just have to remember. Stir yourself up. The Bible even encourages us to encourage one another in these things. Number two is also in the same verse, verse 24. Look at what he says right after that statement. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, then he says, have crucified the flesh. Have crucified the over-desires and the sin of life. If you, if you want to grow, you have to do some work at mortifying your flesh. The best author on this, anyone want to guess who I'm going to quote? John Owen. Great old reform guy, dead but super smart. And John Owen had this quote. If I go back to here, I got a quote for, for you from John Owen. He says this, If sin be subtle, watchful, strong, and always at work, and at the business of killing our souls. <laughs> it's just old, this is old talk right here. That's gnarly. <laughs> Listen to that. If sin be subtle, watchful, strong, always at work in the business of killing our souls. That is, that is radical, uh, truthful speak that, that sin is after you. It's alive. Remember in the text, what does it say about the flesh? It has a desire. It has a passion. It has a hunger. And, and what John Owen knew is by reading this passage, he's saying, listen, the, the sin has a hunger. It, it wants to eat you. It wants to kill you. Jesus said this to Peter. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you won't believe this, Peter, but Satan has actually asked me about you. And Satan has basically said, this is what Jesus says to him. Satan came to me and said that he wants to sift you. He wants to crush you like wheat. Imagine that. Imagine if you're standing there with the Son of God. He stands before you and says, hey, I've had a conversation with the devil. You know what he asked? He asked if he could crush you. Oh, how about that? And then Jesus says, but take heart, I'm praying for you. So he lets us know that he's for us. Jesus is for us. But then Owen goes on and says, okay, you got this hunger. You got the hunger of the sin, hunger of the flesh. And then he goes, and then we, if we, he's asking the question, if we're slothful, negligent, foolish, and proceeding to the ruin thereof, can we expect a comfortable event? He's saying, essentially what he's saying, if you know sin is after you, you can't be slothful in regards to your own sin. And then he asks the question, do you mortify? Do you put it to death? That's what he's saying. Do you make it your daily work? And then he goes on and he says this, be always at it, killing sin while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Ooh. Uh, we have this book in the bookstore. A couple people bought it after the service and it, I can't recommend it enough. And it, it shares the, the reality of, of the, 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 the sin is after you and what Paul is encouraging here, that if the fruit of the Spirit is really going to grow, we have to dismantle, mortify, and strangle the sin that's in our lives. What sins do you have that need to be killed? Because you know what they are. I don't need to tell you what they are. You know because, they're, because the reality is they're in the list before it. Or they're the opposite of the list we just read about the fruit. 
So you know what they are. You've got them. I have them. I experienced them in downtown Truckee last night. I know what they are, and I have a moment, an opportunity to to crucify and, and, and not to be hard on myself, not to beat myself up, but to, to mortify that sin and to live into the Spirit. Now, how do you do that? He says it earlier. He says it in the text. You have to keep in step with the Spirit. You have to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit's mentioned multiple times. Let me, let me read to you. It's on the, the, the text before you. When Jesus, Jesus was walking with his disciples, he was telling his disciples, he was, prepar- he was preparing them, I'm going to die. I'm, I've not come to overthrow the Roman government. He basically was, I'm not here to fight a political war. I'm here to fight the war over your heart. I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm going to be born again. I'm going I'm to come from the grave. I'm going I'm to come, but, but I am going to die. And he says this before he leaves, John 16, 7. Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is amazing. Now, think about this for a moment. Because some people will stand here and say, I don't believe in Jesus because I didn't see Jesus. I, I'm not going to believe in Jesus because I, I haven't actually seen him, touched him, felt him. I haven't seen the disciples. That's what some people would say. And Jesus says the opposite of this. He says, it's actually better if I go. Because if I go, I'm going to send you a helper. Everyone say, helper. Oh, man, 10 of you were awake. That's why I did that. Everyone say helper. All right, thank you. The helper, if I don't go, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, he says in verse 7, I'll send him to you. And then verse 8, he says, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. What he's saying is it's better today. This is an amazing statement from Jesus. You are in a better place today to believe that Jesus is the Son of God than the disciples were when they were walking with Jesus. That's amazing. He's saying you have a better chance of coming to saving faith today than you did when I was walking on this earth. How do I know that? Look at what he says. It's better. He says it himself. It's to your advantage that I go. Advantage is to have something better than what you had before. And then he goes on and says that this spirit is going to convict the world of righteousness and judgment. It's how you're going to know right from wrong and whether or not you need Jesus or not. He goes on in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And what he will declare to you, the things that are to come, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and give it to you and declare it to you. That's so good. Because this is what the spirit is. The spirit is that part of God that enters into your heart. It's the seed that is going to grow and produce fruit. You say, how do I keep in step with the Spirit? Well, you understand what the Spirit's job is. You recognize you belong to Jesus. That word here, uh, the the word that's that's used is parakletos, and it literally means helper or counselor. Have you ever gone through something hard in life? And you don't have to raise your hand here, but I'll I'll at least put myself out there. Something happens, you know, whether it's a marital issue, an issue within, within uh, your own heart towards depression or anger or frustration, you know, the opposite, the things of the flesh. Have you ever just taken the time, you know what, I'm going to go see a counselor. I'm just going to go see a counselor. I've got to go sit down with somebody. I've got I to spill all of my beans. I've got to let that guy tell me something to help me grow. And when you do that, and I've done it, I've got a guy that I go to because I, I hear a lot of people's problems. I hear a lot of things that happen in people's lives. And so I, I need a place where I can lay out my burdens that's safe. So I go, I got a guy I go to, I love him. He's, a, he's an amazing man, makes me feel loved. He, he's kind of like a father figure for me. And I sit down and, and we chat and I leave there and I kind of go, 
all right, I think I can do this, you know? And then a, a month goes by, and I'm like, oh, man, I need a booster shot. And I go back and see the counselors. Come on, make me feel good about myself. And then sometimes what happens, sometimes he doesn't make you feel good about you. You, know, you walk out of there and go, man, that was mean. He's mean to me. I sent a guy to a counselor one time, and he said, yeah, man, I really appreciated him after about an hour, but in the first 20 minutes, I told him to mind his own business. <laughs> That's so funny. You go to a counselor, I need help, and then he shares something. You go, mind your own business. Well, that's what I'm here for, your business. Why do I share all that? Because, because you can go to a counselor, you can go to a human counselor, you can go to a pastor, you can go to a leader, you can go to an elder, you can go to a friend, and you can get counsel. You, you, but the reality is, is when you get saved, you get the counselor. Think about this for a moment. I think it's hilarious. The first thing Jesus does when you get saved, he puts you in counseling. It's the first thing he does. He puts the Holy Spirit in you, which is the counselor, that's going to speak to you, mold you, and shape you. You have a perpetual counselor with you all of the time. He's to guide you. He, he's to help you. And what's the goal of the Spirit? The goal of the Spirit, he says it right here in verse 14, to glorify me. That is the whole job of the counselor, that, that your whole life would be bent into a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus would be glorified. And I'm telling you right now, you will find more satisfaction in glorifying Jesus Christ than you will ever find in glorifying yourself. Your satisfaction in life is directly connected with glorifying Jesus. It, can, I, can I be a pastor for a moment? Thank you. I appreciate that. If you are struggling and you are sad and you are down and you are having a hard time, if you head into work on Tuesday, some of you might have Monday off, might be Monday, but if you head into work this week with an attitude of glorifying Jesus, can I make a promise to you? that you'll have a better week this week than you had the previous weeks because you weren't focused on you and you were focused on elevating who Jesus is. If you're struggling, may it be because you've been living for your own glory and not the Spirit of God. And this is an amazing thing that Jesus has, has tied our contentment and our happiness to elevating him. And you know why that's not egotistical? You know why that's not egotistical of God? Because when God is elevated, we, we also are elevated. He's the only one we can attach our goodness to that actually elevates us, us and doesn't take from us. He's the only one. He's an all-giving God. He's the counselor. And, and, and then he tells us this, is to show you the truth. So you'll know what's what. Because back to, back to that quote from, from earlier about the 99% the stuff, you know, that you're connecting. That if I just knew these things, you know, if I, a lot of times, a lot of times, like, we feel bad because we believe things that aren't true. We start getting down because it's, we believe certain things are true. How many of you this morning are dealing with, dealing with some kind of hurt or heartache because of something somebody said to you when you were eight years old? You're eight years old and somebody said something and you attached your identity to it and you know it's not true, but you just can't get rid of it. At one time when, when somebody said, you're never going to add up, you're not going to be good enough. Man, it took me years to get over all of the different things that teachers told me and my peers told me as a young person. It took me years to overcome those things. You know how I overcome, overcame those things? The truth of the Spirit. God's Spirit came into my heart and he reminded me, you are a child of God. You are forgiven. You're not identified by those mistakes that you made. You're, you're not identified by your lack of patience and your lack of self-control. You're identified by the one who lived those things perfectly for you. That, that's how the gospel gets into you. And then the Spirit does what the Spirit came to do. Now imagine, 
Imagine what your life would look like if you were completely submitted to that. Imagine what our world would look like if we were all submitted to it. Wouldn't it be a beautiful place? Wouldn't your home be a more beautiful place? That, that's the encouragement this morning. So as, the, as Brad comes up <clears throat> to close, you can come on up, Brad. Just want to give you a couple of these next steps this week for you uh, to think about. Number one, examine yourself. And see, see uh, this week where, where uh, the fruit of the Spirit has been growing in your life. It's kind of fun, you know, when I get to teach something, I, get to kind of, I basically live it for a week. So when, I'm, when I finally come to a place of preaching God's Word, I've, I've been living in the text and living in this stuff for like the last week. And so I've had these opportunities, whether it was with my wife or, or whether it was this Sunday where individuals have shared with me, hey, I've really noticed you've, you've grown in this area. It's kind of fun to ask someone and say, where, where have you seen the evidence of God's grace in my life? And here's the good news. The good news is, in the last week, from the people that I've spoken with, I've grown some. So that's encouraging. <laughs> it's good to hear. But then, number two, you, you might need to do a little bit of work. What are the idols in your life? Over-desires, things that, that might be good that you've made too good. Like, it's okay, to, it's okay to watch a Netflix show. It's not okay to watch 15 hours of it. That, that's a problem. It's okay to look at social media every now and then. It's just not okay to get glued to it. What are your over-desires? What are idols in your life? And, and how can you dismantle them, and how can you replace them with Christ? I can tell you, one of the things for me that's been really helpful uh, is, is podcasts, Christian podcasts. I, I need to be nourished by the preaching of God's Word, just like you. And, and some people say, where do you get your preaching from? I get it from all kinds of places. I read, I listen to podcasts. I have digital books. I have paper books. I don't have as many paper books as I used to. A lot of them have turned digital. It's just preference. Uh, but, but there's opportunities for us to, to replace some of those idols with the goodness of Jesus. We need good reminders, don't we? Good reminders. So here's another takeaway here. When you listen to good preaching and when you listen to or, or read, just would you do me a favor? <laughs> this is just a personal, personal bugaboo. Don't, don't be so concerned about the do's and the don'ts. What, what kind of stuff can you read? What kind of preaching can you hear that really elevates who Jesus is and makes you fall more in love with him? And even the next steps that I put up every week, even this is kind of a hard thing for me to do. We need it. We need, we need challenge. We need encouragement. But I always have to add the, 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 the part that's, you know what? It's not about the doing as much as it is about being in love with Christ. And if we don't get that, if you walk away from a sermon going, oh, man, I got so much to do. You know what a bummer that is for me to hear? I have so far to go. That's a bummer. That'd be a bummer for me. You know what, you know what excites me when people leave and they go, man, Jesus is so good to us, isn't he? Isn't Jesus amazing? He provides his spirit. He provides his family. Even in hard times, he's good. Isn't he good? And so the, the prayer would be when you say, when I go, okay, what are you going to replace these things with? Don't pick up a book that says 10, 10 ways to do this. Five ways to be a better husband. Six ways to be a better brother. You know, uh, uh, those things like creep me out. And you know, I'm, just, I'm ranting here. This is what happens when you're the second service, though. We have a little bit more room in the first one. If you want that one more dialed in and shorter, you should come to that one. 
You know where you find most of those books? You walk into a Christian bookstore, and they're the first ones you see when you walk in. Some of you might be offended by that. And maybe you need to be. Eight out of the, eight out of the, out of the ten that are there are probably filled with fluffy garbage. There might be two on there that's really going to drive you into the, who, the heart of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. That's, that's my hope. So listen with discernment. Listen with, with some, just ask some questions and then drive into the heart of Jesus. That's what we want for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. <clears throat> thank you that you provide above and beyond anything we could think or imagine. I pray as we leave here that we would desire the fruit of the Spirit, but that we would understand that it's not about desiring the fruit as much as it is desiring the one who makes the fruit. So would you drive us into your heart and into your salvation? We trust you for it, Lord. You're good to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friends, listen.